Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. The Lakers Legacy Podcast episode you're about to listen to is brought to you by the Fansided Sports Network, the ultimate home for fans, and by lakeshowlife.com, Fansided's official Lakers website. Make sure to check out lakeshowlife.com for all the latest Lakers news, rumors, and opinion pieces. As usual, please follow us on Twitter at LakersLegacyPod, and also please consider dropping us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. It truly is the best way to support us. And now, on with the showtime. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where the 2021-2022 Lakers season is officially underway behind Braun, Brody, The Brow, and Billy Cobe. We are ready to rock, so on your marks, get set, let's BB go! Also, that is HBK, Hill, Billy, Kobe, Austin Reeves, for your information, I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez. I am joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, are you vaccinated? Show me the Carvax. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Jonathan, I'm doing my own research as we speak currently <laughs> um, for my vaccine that I got in April. Nice. Very well done. I, too, am also vaccinated. So no drama here. And luckily for us as Lakers Nation, we don't have to worry about any of those shenanigans as well because... Everyone is 100% vaccinated, although Kent Bazemore still has one more shot to go, apparently. Um, but yes, Kent Bazemore and even the masked singer octopus Dwight Howard are vaxxed. So look at Rob Palenka pulling his vaccination advocacy weight. Uh, Tommy, Media Day, Lakers, 2021-2022 uh, season, Mello, DeAndre, Westbrook, it's ridiculous. But before we get to that super tangent, I did not prep you for this. Let's talk about TV shows on Netflix. Oh. Have you seen the show Squid Games? No. <laughs> okay, have you, have you heard about Squid Games? I have not, actually. Okay, it is like the hottest thing on Netflix right now. So just quick, brief summary. It is a Korean uh, limited series, like th- psycho thriller. So if you like Parasite, you will like Squid Games. It's about like eight okay. episodes, um, but it's essentially like Parasite plus Saw. It's uh, kind of like a psychological thriller, deals a lot with, you know, social experiments, has a lot of social commentary and symbolism as well. Um, Very, very bloody and gory. Um, So if you're familiar with the Japanese movie Battle Royale, it's a little bit of that as well. Or I guess, you know, Hunger Games. 
they put people in a, in a kind of a room, have them play some very violent games to try and survive. I mean, that's the initial premise, but there's a lot more to it than that. But right now it's uh, sweeping the internet, and I would advise you to watch a Squid Games because it's a lot of fun and very riveting uh, if you can handle the gore and, and bloodiness of it all. But uh, yeah, check it out. Um, speaking of games, the Lakers aren't playing no Squid Games this year. Um, yeah, let's get to Media Day because... I don't know how excited you were. I was pretty excited. Although in some senses, I felt like we got a bit of a dress rehearsal to all of this when all of the new guys we signed this offseason had their individual intro pressers. But I guess today was the real deal of getting them in their actual Lakers jerseys, uh, filming some media bits. And and I guess the biggest difference here is them having had a, you know, uh, a head start on pre-training camp grind for the season with their Vegas mini trip and then being able to touch on a little bit about that. And I guess this time around, you feel the tangibility of the season upon us because literally tomorrow they'll be practicing and they have been practicing. So just quick off the bat, I mean, let's talk about the vibes, sights and sounds, anything that struck you. I guess who was the weirdest fit and feel when it comes to like a new, new NBA player in a Lakers jersey for you? Um, let's see. You mean like in terms of just like what they see, not what they say. I mean, I guess just when you saw them in a Lakers jersey, you're like, I didn't expect to see yeah, that that's, in my life. That looks, still looks weird. Um, I'd say one guy is probably, uh, let's see. You go first. I got to think about it. Yeah, for me, it's definitely Carmelo. I think. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he felt he looked so comfortable. I'd seen him Photoshop so many times in a Lakers jersey. It, it didn't really phase me. No, exactly. Especially during that one year where we were chasing him super hard after Dwight left and Kobe was still on the team, and we were trying to like patchwork quilt another like Lakers team in the you know the end of Kobe's career. So, but yeah, I don't know. I. I Melo at this stage of his career is very comfortable with himself, very well spoken, and no matter. Regardless of all of that, just seeing him do that, every every introductory press or every interview he had, seeing him do it in a Lakers jersey was just wild. And then there was that one picture of just him and LeBron, both in yeah. Lakers jerseys. I mean, you've seen him and LeBron in photos countless times, but it's usually with Carmelo in a different jersey. So to see him like in a Lakers jersey next to LeBron, and I guess it's still kind of hard to you know get over LeBron being a Laker. Uh, in, in, in his new number six was just sort of wild for me. Uh, that and, okay, so Carmelo and this is trippy in a different sort of way, but I think seeing Ariza in a Lakers jersey again mm. kind of felt both right, but also like, yeah, I guess trippy because the last time we saw Ariza in a Lakers jersey, he was like a young buck. He was like 22. Mm-hmm. And to have the next time you see him in a Lakers jersey, be him at 36, like with these dreads and looking kind of not disheveled, but clearly he's he's worn down, not worn down, but you know what I'm saying? He's more yeah, grizzled. Yeah, yeah. And I think just the stark contrast of that is crazy. But, you know, again, full full circle. So, yeah, I hear you. And honestly, for me, too, when I was first thinking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess. Ariza, Dwight Howard, Rondo, like guys who have been, I, there's more than that, obviously, Baysmore and, and uh, Ellington, if you want to count them too. But, you know, especially those three guys, since they were, um, you know, Rondo, Dwight, Ariza, they were all part of like Laker championship teams. And when they left, especially in the case of Dwight and Rondo, I, I like never thought, it's not that it looked weird to see them, because obviously we've seen them in a Laker jersey before, but like, 
I just never thought they would be back. Um, you know, guys towards the end of their career and, and leaving the team, it's like, okay, well that was, you know, that was fun and nice, nice Dwight got his, you know, reclamation project or whatever. He kind of came full circle, but I guess he'll, he'll wind out his twilight year somewhere else. So it was kind of a trip to see those guys. Yeah, for sure. So in terms of like vibe and I know context, your personal context text dictates how you feel about this media day. But I guess for me overall, I mean, seeing, you know, they have that one video on Twitter that's been circulating where the camera is slowly panning from right to left of like the OG All-Stars, where it's like LeBron, Brow, Westbrook, Rondo, Dwight, and Mello. Like Mm -hmm. that whole setup and that lineup of guys who you've seen over the last decade in countless All-Star games, you've seen seen them on the Olympic team, you've seen them face off against one another in playoff battles, sometimes even some finals. That was disgusting to see and just kind of, I don't know, it it kind of emphasized to you the aura of this Lakers team, regardless of how old they are, regardless of whether or not their bodies may be breaking down. I don't think they've lost their, you know, that aura of being superstars and the pedigree that they carry, all of them together. I forgot what the count is of all-star games or whatever. But to me, it did feel like media day for the Lakers this year felt like an all-star game scrum. And while it felt super surreal and unfamiliar, in some ways it, it felt familiar as well because even though we're not used to seeing guys like Westbrook, Melo, DeAndre in Lakers jerseys, we're used to them as big personalities being around the game and being ambassadors of the game that we grew up loving over the last decade. So in that sense, it kind of felt familiar. But I guess when you pull out and realize that everything they're saying is being done in a Lakers jersey and everything they're saying is for the common benefit of winning a championship for the Lakers. I think that's when it gets like unfathomably more insane as you wrap your head around that. But yeah, for you, what was sort of sort of the vibes that you were getting from this year's media day? Well, you know what the vibe was, Jonathan. What was it? It was lit. It was lit. Correct. No, it yeah, it was super it was exciting, you know, I think like you and probably a lot of people, I, I was looking forward to this for a while just to see everybody together. It's weird because we have 10 new players, right? Or is it 10 or 11? It's it's a lot, like two thirds of our team is new, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a good amount of new guys here. And from like pretty much the moment it started, you kind of got a sense that like the chemistry is a lot farther along already than you yes. would think right like i mean it's like immediately starting and like you know whoever lebron is getting interviewed or whoever at first and like kent Bazemore is like trolling in the background you know what i mean and then tht was getting interviewed and deandre was doing like you know stupid stuff in the background it's like kind of funny and it it seems like these guys are pretty comfortable with each other like you know i mentioned dwight earlier and rondo is as two guys who were recently you know on the team i didn't expect to be back but especially in the case of dwight it's like he hasn't missed a beat. It's like literally yep. the season, you know, the championship season ended yesterday and now we're back in for a new season. It's like, you would never know the difference. Um, uh, so the chemistry seems like it's pretty far along. Guys are saying things that are just, and again, for now it's just words, right? But when this many guys are already this locked in and on the same page about how they want everything to go this year, you can't help but get excited about it. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into more details of that as we go, but but that's kind of the vibes I took. No, and that's a good point and something that I also wanted to bring up, just the camaraderie. And I think this is like the benefits of having a quote-unquote old team of veterans who are established, right? Because 
Yeah, this is what you get when you get some of the league's best players and minds of the last decade and put them on the same team. Because as I, as I just mentioned, you know, yeah, they're older, their games have changed, yada, yada. But look at the collective experiences that each of these guys have gone through, whether individually or together in different parts of Olympic teams, all-star games, battles with one another, so many different scenarios that they've all been in these exceptional contexts, except this time it's going to be in an 82-game everyday sort of full season. And I'm sure for them that must be quite a trip. But if you actually think about it, LeBron's probably more familiar with a guy like Westbrook, even though he hasn't been his teammate for 82 games in a regular season, but over, you know, what? 10, 15 years? How many seasons has Westbrook in, been in the league? You'd imagine that Westbrook, that LeBron's probably more familiar with Westbrook, even just from a chemistry standpoint or a personal standpoint, than some of the teammates that he had last year that he's played with for two, three years. You know what I'm saying? So to be in this context now, that's I think that's why it so easily clicks for everybody and why they're so chummy and how the fit is so natural. Because some of these guys' chemistry, we, you know, we laugh about the banana boat and stuff, but yeah, LeBron and Carmelo's friendship, LeBron, Carmelo, Westbrook, how close, you know, Anthony Davis and Rondo are, et cetera, et cetera. Um, their chemistry has just naturally been built from years of friendships and battles with one another in the league. And I think that benefits the Lakers so much because, yeah, they have to work on things schematically. They have to work out their roles and their fit and whatnot. But when you're starting on a foundational base point of, we know each other. We know each other's idiosyncrasies. So whatever bumps we have to face along the way and adjustments we have to make, I feel like they're on a already on good footing with one another because they know how to communicate with one another. So to me, that's the most exciting part. You know, you see the jovialness of, of everybody and how they clown on one another and that chemistry come to the light. But it's it's because it's been forged from a decade's worth of, you know, NBA play where all of these guys were at one point, you know, tops in each of their positions, respective positions. So I think that that's the, the coolest part about not even just the accolades and all this stuff, but like these guys are friends and it's kind of showing. And that's only going to benefit us as we move along this season. And I guess we can get into, you know, some things that stood out to us with regards to people's interviews. But I'm really glad that in Carmelo's interview, he kind of brought some practicality to things and was kind of realistic and said, hey, there are going to be bumps along the way and there are going to be adjustments that have to be made and maybe some uncomfortable stretching. So I'm glad he brought that to the table. But, but you know, again, with guys who understand each other so well, um, I don't think they'll have too much of a problem sacrificing, as they've been saying this entire media day, and, you know, compromising with one another. So um, that that's one thing that stood out to me. And again, just the Instead of having like a brand new team, I mean, this is a brand new team, right? But as I mentioned, it's not like we're going into like an AA, this is who I am orientation. We don't have to go through that with these guys. So um, that only bodes well for us down the line. But what are, are there any other things that looks, stood out to you with regards to specific quotes or anything in particular that specific players said? Um, you know, it, it, again, I think it's like media day. You get a lot of baiting questions from the media, uh, trying to get people to number one, you know, divulge maybe what are some behind the scenes strategy plans, you know, teams have been talking about. And number two, like kind of get a pulse on 
who you think are going to be like the competitive guys on teams playing for minutes and whatnot. And so I, you know, not necessarily thinking there was any bad intent with any of these questions, but a lot of the guys were at and pretty much everybody was asked, are you starting on this team? Like, are you coming mm-hmm. off the bench on this team? Like, what do you, and like a hundred percent of them immediately were like, I'm doing whatever I need to do yep. to win. You know, not nobody said I'm starting now, even like guys who like you think probably will start or have a pretty decent chance. You know, like, they brought this up with the Riza too, whose name has literally been dropped as like, this guy's going to be starting if AD starts at the five. Right. And even he was like, you know, I've done both. I'm going to do whatever they asked me to do. Rondo was like, you know, if I play in a game and then don't play in 40 games in a row, like I'm going to, yeah. I mean, that was, that's pretty intense. Right. So, you know, everybody yeah. had that kind of attitude. And, and so it's, it's it's so so hard to build that, and that carries a team such a long way over the course of a season. So it's nice that we're kind of already getting there. Yeah, just to quote Rondo, he talked about how and and th- this was a baited question to Rondo, right? Where I forgot it was like Geeter who asked him, "Hey, you know the playmaking you did during the championship season? Do you think you're going to pick that up and take the load off of LeBron James and Russell Westbrook to pick up that playmaking load?" Right? And Rondo was just like, "We have so many guys who can make plays." Whatever Frank wants me to do, that's the role I'm willing to step up and do, whether it's play 40 minutes a night, whether it's sit 40 games in a row and coach. I have one common goal, year 16, no ego here. So to hear that from Rondo is super encouraging. And it, I would be a little bit you know, jaded and pessimistic and I guess cynical to believe those words if it hadn't been hammered home to us to this point, you know what I'm saying? Like from the moment we signed Rondo, they were saying, and even, you know, you hear these interviews from Rob Palink or Frank Vogel, them saying, you know, we love Rondo. We love what he brings to the table. We know he's not going to play too much. You know what I mean? So to hear it right on down the line, right from the horse's mouth now from Rondo, it's clear these discussions have been made. You know, they don't sound loosey-goosey to me. His role is going to be limited and it's going to be a break glass in case of emergency type role. And the fact that he knows that and can articulate it to us so well. And then on top of that, talk about him being a good mentor to the new young guys that are on this team and Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn and him wanting to give back in that way because he's had such good mentoring and role model- models in his career. I mean, super encouraging to hear from Rondo. And then, you know, LeBron James looked pretty rejuvenated, even though I don't know if you, you picked up on this, but his voice sounded hoarse AF. I don't know what he was doing he last did. night. I was like, was he just <laughs> shouting all day? Like, what the hell is happening? With him? You know, he did mention that he was up till like 5.30 a.m. or whatever, because he was so excited. So maybe that's that's part of it. Um, I know they were at the Rams game, too, on Sunday. So maybe they've been partying. They came back from Vegas. So I'm sure all of that constitutes to this. And then, of course, there was like AD's wedding celebration. So I'm sure it's been a pretty crazy lead up for him. But I think from LeBron, there is just an air of focus and confidence about him this year, especially because, you know, Rob Palenka mentioned it. LeBron looks across all of the nameplates on the locker rooms, on all the lockers, and he just has confidence in every single guy. And, yeah, I feel like you can definitely sense that renewed vigor due to last season's failure to launch. And, you know, LeBron had had this quote that stuck out to me where he just talked about, what are your thoughts on the narratives about you guys being old and all of this stuff and you guys won't fit, you and Westbrook and all that? And he brought up, you know, people said that about me and D. Wade. People said that about me and Anthony Davis. I don't get caught up in the narratives at this point. That's all tabloids. I'm 19 years into this thing. I know what it's all about. 
The game's not won on paper. The game's not won on newspaper clippings or on the bottom ticker. The game's won in between these four lines. 94 feet, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I mean, just hearing that from LeBron made me want to go into battle right then and there, like Jon Snow pulling out the sword as an army of thousands come by. Coach Carter type stuff from LeBron James, really cool. And then quickly, Anthony Davis, you know, he had a life-changing offseason in more ways than one. You know, he had a baby. He got married. LeBron even mentioned it. Out of all, like, the superstars and other guys in the league who post, you know, clips of them working out during the summer, you didn't see anything from AD. But best believe the work and grind was being done in the shadows, and LeBron James knows exactly what Anthony Davis has been working on, and we're going to see an angry AD this year. And obviously, in the second segment, we're going to be talking about Anthony Davis embracing his role playing more five this season. And this time in, during media day, outright verbalizing it, I think, is huge. So, um, yeah, so great stuff to hear from our leaders. Uh, was there anything that else that you want to bring up? Anything you heard from Westbrook that stood out to you? No, I think, the, well, the one thing I will say about Westbrook, right, and it's, it's crazy because the trade happened at this point. It feels like so long ago. It was like less than three months ago, or like two months ago. Yeah. It was like July before the draft. Um, the I almost feel guilty in some ways for like not being as excited when the trade first happened as I am now. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. we we have gotten I like just listening to Russ speak and He's like so we giddy. didn't just yeah we didn't just get like a really good basketball player, but I think we got a guy who's just a really good guy and. Mm. This L.A. homecoming reunion thing, like, you could kind of see – and, of course, we've never had Russ on our team before, so maybe he's just always like this, right? And we just, as a national media level, get, like, the stern, like, Russ, who kind of clashes with the media, right? But he's so, so excited to be back, and it's – nobody will ever question Russell Westbrook's work ethic, right, and his willingness to play hard and, and do all these things. So it's kind of – it's kind of fun to be able to see him in a situation that is probably the best situation that he's had. And I know he's had some good teams, but this is probably the best situation he's ever had to win an NBA championship um, in terms of roster makeup. Um, And to see him so excited about that and not just to have that opportunity, but to like be back home and have that opportunity. And like, he clearly loves the city so much. And I think like, you know, obviously the last year has been so crazy for the entire country. Last almost year and a half has been crazy for the entire country, but especially for LA too. You know what I mean? Like with all the, mm-hmm. uh, everyone who lives here is like, notice like all the problems that have come up, but like to have a guy that excited to be back in his hometown and to play for the city, there's something about it. Just, you know, the transcends practicality, like, I think. Yeah, yeah. It just makes it kind of like unifying, uniting as a team. Like more, we, we're going to talk about, and we have talked about all these guys who have all been saying the right things. But for a guy like Russell to be that excited and and to be making comments like this, it just I don't know. To me, it feels like a rallying cry to like you know, let's go to war together for the city. You know, right. No, totally. That's like Jon Snow pulling out his sword again as an army of thousands come at him. Um, Yeah, I mean, that'll pretty much do it for our media day observations. Some other cool, fun tidbits was Rondo and Westbrook, of all people, joshing around with each other. Rondo scooting a box over next to him so he could stand on it next to Westbrook and be taller, telling the video guys to edit that part out. That was pretty fun. Uh, Hillbilly Kobe, HBK, uh, everything with Austin Reeves was hilarious. You haven't seen his interviews yet, but it's... 
let me know if you pick up on this, but he does have a southern drawl to him, yeah, which yeah. is pretty funny. And he did mention he grew up in Arkansas, Arkansas's middle of nowhere, and he did grow up on a farm. So all that is just just so interesting and enticing, and Westbrook has made him go to Walgreens and pick up stuff and do rookie duties already, so that's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> Trevor Ariza mentioned that Westbrook was a big part of getting him back to the Lakers. So, you know, two hometown L.A.-bred UCLA kids – teaming up to play for the Lakers. That's all pretty awesome. They didn't overlap at UCLA, I don't believe, but um, just the fact that Westbrook was instrumental in recruiting Ariza uh, was something that I thought was interesting. And then lastly, Malik Monk, um, surprisingly very well-spoken guy. I don't know if you got to see his interviews, but very clear that he sees the huge opportunity in front of him and he is ready to feast off greats like AD, LeBron, and Westbrook and he's ready to let that ball fly and pull that trigger. So I'm very excited to see what uh, Malik Monk has in store. Um, Kendrick Nunn maybe needs a little bit of coaching when it comes to interviews and uh, PR stuff, but I'm sure he'll be fine as long as he plays well on the court and stuff and gets more comfortable. Uh, But he did mention that even from the moment he stepped onto the Lakers practice facility during like, you know, draft uh, draft workouts and stuff. He wanted to be a Laker from that point forward. So that was kind of cool to hear. Uh, with that said, we'll take it to break. And when we return, we'll close this episode out talking about 80 at the 5. 80 five. at the 5. 80 at the 5. Is that a song? 5 for fighting. Let's do it. Okay. Attention listeners across the galaxy. All the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pube problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. So join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver toner, Performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. Abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that Woody with Manscaped. Man, did I write this? I don't know. Anyways, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. All right, so we're back. Before we get to the 80 at the 5 stuff, some quick stats because I always like to throw some stats your way. Uh, Last year, Carmelo Anthony in the fourth quarter, out of players who played at least 30 games and players who were actual rotation players and not garbage time scrubs like Sam Merrill because he made this list, um, out of those guys, (laughs) Carmelo... (laughs) <laughs> Who's Sam Merrill? Look him, look him up, man. Uh, he shoots like 75% from three-point land in the fourth quarter. That's right. Whoa, <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's what he shoots. But obviously, he doesn't play normal you know, rotation minutes. So out of guys who played at least 30 games and players who were actual rotation players and not garbage time scrubs, Carmelo ranked fourth in the league in fourth quarter three-point field goal percentage, shooting 50.5%. That is insane. 
he's only behind Mike Conley, Lou Williams, and Wayne Ellington, who's number one. Although you can probably argue that Wayne Ellington was sort of on a scrub Detroit Pistons team, so he probably got more garbage garbage time than Carmelo Anthony did. On top of that, with regards to three-point makes and volume, Carmelo ranks 11th in the league in three-point volume makes with 0.8 in the fourth quarter alone. So that all lines up with what I saw from his game tape last year. I mean, this is a guy who had two games in which he scored 17 points in the fourth quarter of non-garbage time games in which the Blazers actually needed his scoring to win the game. So he did that twice last season, 17 points in the fourth quarter. So the fact that he's shooting 50.5% from three-point land and hitting 0.8 almost won a game in the fourth quarter, I think bodes well in the events and scenarios where Frank Vogel needs to deploy him in the last three three to four minutes of a game. So, yeah, encouraging stuff from Carmelo Anthony, the closer, Hoodie Mello, Olympic Mello. So let's talk about 80 at the 5, Tommy. So everybody's come out and said that 80 is going to start at the 5 to begin the season. AD himself said he expects oh, yeah. to play more center. I, I mean, they left the door open for we don't anything can happen between now and, you know, opening night. But so far, it seems like he's going to start at the 5. And we've heard of the proposed starting lineup of him, LeBron James at the four, Trevor Ariza at the three, Wayne Ellington at the two, and Russell Westbrook at the one. I think when we did our 80 at the five lineups, we actually had this exact lineup as the conservative lineup that Vogel would deploy. But as it pertains to 80 at the five, what does this mean to you? Yeah, let's start there. (laughs) How do you view that? Are you good with Ariza at the three, Wayne Ellington at the two? No, I think the three and the two are going to be... If 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 we start, and I'll have a comment on that in a second, but if we start with 80 at the five, I think the three and the two are going to be up for grabs, open for competition in preseason and training camp. Um, I think Ariza is probably the favorite at the three, uh, given his defense and is just, he doesn't need the ball in his hands. And I think, you know, maybe Wayne Ellington, just because of he's probably the purest shooter, yeah, might be in lead, you know, for the two spot going into camp, but... I don't think either of these guys are like, it's not a far lead. You know what I mean? So I think I think those spots are up for grabs. I do think the thing about 80 at the five, right, is in Vogel's comments, which I just read, he, um, he says that like, you know, the balance is going to be closer to the championship season than what it was last year, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, if you've listened to this podcast or you know, paid attention to what we've said from time to time, like in, in 20... 1819 or sorry 19 1920 was the championship year right yeah in 1920 80 played during the season 40% of his minutes at the 5 and or yeah 40% at the 5 60% at the 4 during the season in the playoffs that flipped to mm-hmm. 60% at the 5 40% at the 4 last season he played 10% of his minutes at the five and 90% at the four during the season right and then playoffs I'm not even going to go into cuz he barely played but you know, that was kind of the breakdown for him last year. And so do I believe that they're going to be more on the side of the spectrum as the championship year? Like, of course, I think 80 is going to be 40 to 50, 40 to 50% of his minutes at the five would not surprise me at all. But I think given the roster composition, I given, given the way certain teams play, I think there are going to be plenty of opportunities where playing 80 at the, at the four, especially in lineups where, you know, Russ is, not on the floor could be an interesting kind of look for us. Um, 
So I'm not 100% sold that they're going to go with AD at the five to start the season anyway. But, you know, if they do, then I guess those two guys that we talked about are, are probably favorites to, to jump into the starting lineup. Yeah, so I think they've publicized this so heavily at this point that it would be such a... They have, they have. <laughs> but I... But I also think they're they're hedging quite a bit, you know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they're leaving the door open for sure. I will say if they start AD at the five, and I think if you listen to AD's interview today, he even mentioned this. Even if they start AD at the five to begin the season, it's going to fluctuate. And I predict that Frank Vogel, as he has done in the past, especially with such a new team as this one, with so many talented players that you want to get looks at, like fair looks at, Training camp and preseason, those are good, but like it's not enough when you have a pretty much, what, 13 guys on your team who can legitimately play NBA minutes. You're going to need more than a preseason and training camp, right? So I think, and, you know, there were some downsides to doing this uh, last year because we felt like Vogel was a little bit slow in turning the page with regards to trialing things out with particular lineups and particular players. Luckily for us, this is a long season. We've got a full 82 games, so I think he has longer leash and leeway. But even if AD starts at the 5, I think Frank Vogel is going to do what he's done in the past where maybe the first 10 games, AD starts at the 5. And then the next 10 games after that, he's going to trial out DeAndre at the 5. And then the, the shooting guard position is going to switch. Maybe we see Bazemore there. And then so, and then uh, yeah. or maybe even Bazemore at the three, and then Monk gets the two guard uh, nod. So I think we're going to see different iterations through the first fourth, maybe even half of the season, where eighty is going to start at the five, but it's not going to be for a full eighty-two games for sure. But I just wonder, you know, like because eighty going to the five is the playoff lineup that you need to win games, right. certainly to close games, right? And I, I will say though, there's a caveat, right? As we saw even in our championship year. You know, 80 starting at the five against Miami, 80 starting against the five at the five against Houston made sense. But I don't think that takes anything away from how we approach the Denver series and the Portland series, right? I think you have sure. to play like matchup dependent. And so yeah. I guess my only counter to your point is, and I know what you're saying is very likely what Frank Vogel is going to do because it's like a, it's a good leap from what he did a couple years ago, right? So I think you're probably more on the money here, but. I guess my question for the team really then would be like, why not just approach it from day one? Like, and if these lineups need to be tweaked individually, that's fine. But from day one, kind of approach it as like, this is our lineup when we're starting big against teams that start like a true center and like two bigs. And this is like what we're going to do in every other game Mm -hmm. and have those two base lineups. And just from day one of the season, use those on a night to night basis, just because don't you want to kind of prep for what you're expecting to see in the playoffs, which becomes a lot more situational basketball and, and lineups changing to, to, you know, tailor to certain matchups. Um, I don't know. For me, I kind of think like, why not just start day one of the season with that mindset? So you kind of get, maybe it costs you some games during the season, right? A couple games here and there, cause guys aren't getting into a rhythm as quickly, but like it, it gets you in the right mindset going into the playoffs, in my opinion. Yeah, I see some merits in that, but you just brought up my counterpoint with regards to I you can set them up with those expectations beforehand, but I think it's a lot cleaner if you're like the next 10 games, this is the rotation, so be ready. And then the next 10 games, this is what's happening. I don't think it's going to be that stringent obviously, but I think also 
I don't think we're going to see 80 at the five to start as often as we think just because we're going to see 80 at the five regardless to close games in every single game, I feel like. So yeah, th- I feel yeah. like we already know what that what that's going to look like at some point. And just to, and we, we've seen Frank do this over you know, multiple seasons now where he just likes to get players engaged, even if we know they won't have a prominent role in the playoffs or, or even if we know they're eventually going to get phased out. But situational players like a DeAndre Jordan, a Dwight Howard, a Rajon Rondo even, he likes to keep them in the loop throughout a long 82 regular game season. And so I think because of that fact alone, we're going to see DeAndre at the five for the sole purpose of getting more guys in, in the rotation. You know what I mean? Because what 80 at the five does is it kind of just literally DNPs like multiple players already. Whereas if you just start DeAndre at the five, you're at least ensuring him 10 minutes already just to get a look at him, right? And in this scenario, where was I going with this? Yeah, I mean, so that, so yeah, I think even just trying DeAndre at the five or, or Dwight at the five, shifting things down a little bit will allow for some other guys to get into the rotation and play a little bit, play some minutes so that Frank Vogel can keep them engaged, but also take a look at some lineups. So I think we're going to see the 2019-20 sort of portioning out of 80 at the five being 40-60 or maybe 50-50 in the regular season. Or 60-40, right? Kind of like the play, what happened in the playoffs. But right, right. I don't think it matters whether or not he starts at the five. I think we've... I agree with you. And, you know, that's why it's like, you know, talking about this so much over the course of the offseason and almost in retrospect, it just, it feels silly, right? Like everybody knows he's going to be closing games at the five. So who starts is fairly irrelevant, right? It's like, of course, everybody wants the best on paper fit with Russ and LeBron. And and so it makes sense to put him at the five, but he's going to be playing a ton of minutes there compared to last year. Uh, and, and so we'll see him plenty at the five. So let's quickly talk about to close this show, what you think is going to happen to the rest of the rotation and some guys due to 80 being at the five. So like you, I, I mean, we brought this exact lineup up as Frank Vogel's conservative starting lineup with Wayne Ellington at the two, Ariza at the three. And I mentioned that I like to keep Ariza and Bazemore staggered just for defensive purposes. If Ariza's going to start, have Bazemore come off the bench to help defensively. If Bazemore starts, have Ariza come off the bench. So in this sense, because Ariza is starting, yeah, it makes sense to have Wayne Ellington there. I think in our personal preferred lineups, we had Malik Monk there. I think we'll see that eventually, but it makes sense right on the outset to have a veteran like Wayne Ellington who knows what he's doing and who you can rely upon to be in that starting lineup where you can also hide his defensive deficiencies and whatnot. But also, you know, like you said, he's probably a purest shooter and can do a lot off the dribble, at least as it pertains to curling off screens, you know, one to two dribbles into a pull-up three-point shot. That's his expertise. And then the other thing, it just provides ultra spacing because you already got 80 at the five. And now you're going to have Wayne Ellington at the two, where you can build up to Monk being a starter once you see him become a little bit more comfortable, right? Because really, last season was his first season where he really kind of broke out and was a little bit more consistent than usual. I think Frank Vogel wants him to earn that again. Wayne Ellington, you know what you're going to get from him. And the fact that, I'm sure you've seen this stat over the last couple of days, but the fact that Russell Westbrook is 
number two in the league the last two years in three-point assists has me super excited for a guy like Wayne Ellington, who right off the bat is just going to feast off of those drives, those hard, hard drives that Russell Westbrook uh, will take into the lane, pitch it out to him, and Wayne Ellington is going to eat. And I think it also allows Wayne Ellington early on to just be engaged. And in a lot of senses, Ariza and Ellington are going to be the default McGee starters for me. I think they get maybe two shifts, two or three shifts at max when it comes to the entirety of the game. Um, but I think even just starting them ensures them that they are that they get minutes. They have a little bit of a role because I think with these guys, you want to parse out how much you actually utilize them throughout an 82-game season. Um, so, yeah, like I mentioned, eventually we're going to see Monk at the two, I think, even Bazemore at the two or at the three, et cetera, et cetera. But for now, I am totally fine with how this starting lineup looks like. But for you, what are your thoughts on... So 80 at the five and then starting Wayne Ellington, a guy who we thought was eventually going to be phased out or maybe even be phased out from the beginning, and that probably still might happen. But this puts a pretty big pinch on, you know, the shooting guard position because now... Waiting off the bench is you've got THT, Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, Kent Bazemore. Some of those guys can play the primary backup point guard spot. Some of them can play the small forward spot and shift up. Um, But that's a lot of talent for very limited amounts of time. How do you see that shaking out? And do you see it as a problem or just it's going to be natural course of the season? I think natural course of the season, right? So I think, you know, the... It it does feel like, and and rightfully so, this team has a ton, a ton of talent. So the natural question, you know, like as you brought up here is how are all these guys going to see the floor? We have 14 guys under contract who are going to be on the regular season roster when the season starts. Um, Of those 14, one is Rondo, who's probably not going to play in more than half the games this season. He's definitely not going to be a regular rotation player. One is Austin Reeves. Um... And who's a rookie and is probably not going to play a ton. Uh, and then you have like, you know, one of the two centers is probably not going to, meaning Dwight and DeAndre, is probably not going to appear consistently in all games, right? But that being said, you're already down to 11. And I do think this is a team that can find a way to get 11 guys on the floor. I mean, even with AD starting at the five and how that kind of shifts things around, let's say AD plays 70% of his minutes at the five, right? So if he's averaging 34 minutes a game, 70% of his minutes at the five is 24. So half the game, somebody else is playing five, right? So Dwight and DeAndre, I think, are going to find their minutes very, very easily right there because they're the only two guys who can't play minutes. When you go to the backcourt, or excuse me, can't play minutes anywhere else, but when you go to the backcourt, you know, you raised all those guys I really think things are going to kind of fall into place naturally. I think the odd man out, you know, the guy to start the season, as you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, in this episode, Wayne Ellington is the Frank Vogel conservative choice that you might point your finger to and say that guy gets the starting nod. But I think training camp is, I don't know, there's three weeks for them to kind of figure that stuff out. If somebody else shows up and balls out and makes a case that actually that this is going to be my position and you're going to have to take it like, I think we're going to see a lot of crazy things happening, you know, over the next three weeks and guys competing for these spots. But I still think that naturally, when you look at the 14 man roster, when you look at Rondo not being in the rotation, Austin Reeves not being in the rotation, probably eventually Wayne Ellington not being in the rotation, um, just because of his defensive limitations and Frank's, you know, preference to lean towards guys who can play D. Uh, 
you know, and, and pretty soon you're getting down to 11 guys, one of DeAndre or Dwight. You know, if you're, you could play an 11-man rotation with DeAndre and Dwight both playing if DeAndre's playing like nine minutes, right? So, you know, and, and that's kind of how we used JaVale at times um, during the season a couple years ago. So I, I think things will kind of fall into place uh, naturally. And I think the the guys in the backcourt who are going to get at minutes are going to be Kendrick Nunn, uh, Kent Bazemore, Malik Monk. Obviously, THT and Russ, right? I think those are the yeah. real guys. Yeah, I agree. And I, you already know what's going to happen with this season, right? I, I, we kind of talked about this with regards to like the Trez, Schroeder, Marcus Gasol season, where we, this is the most talent we've seen on a Lakers roster. Well, this is this season is that you know on steroids pretty much because I feel like you know fans are going to latch on to their favorites, right? Like I want to see Monk more. I want to see None more. I want to see Bays more. I want to see Melo. You know, like. Fans are going to latch on to their preferred player over the course of an 82-game season, and I don't even think it's fair to bring up advanced analytics at that that point because it's not going to you're not going to have a large enough sample size to know whether or not any of those actually stick, right? And I guess both the beauty and the downside of having such a talented team is, Tommy, you could be vying for Kendrick Nunn to get 35 minutes, and I could be vying for mellow to get 35 minutes and I don't think either of us would be wrong you know what I'm saying like it's just all about how they coalesce and make things fit and how Frank Vogel you know expertly juggles all of this Um, but again as we've seen with media day and the mentality and perspective that the veterans are applying I think it should be a little bit more smoothed over um, than we had than what we had last year where guys had more, you know, individual priorities. To the extent we have that, it's really, you know, more of the young guys who who need more space to grow. But look, uh, Nunn and Monk are on one-year deals, and they signed up for this. And if they really are as good as they think they are, they're gonna, the cream is gonna rise to the crop, right? I think the the one, yep. Yep. the one big, I think, point of contention though is gonna be THT for everybody. Right. I think he could be the one thing where it's just like some people are always going to see glass half full with THT, even if he's he's struggling. Some people are going to see, okay, he still doesn't have it and we need to go with Monk and Nunn now. You know what I mean? It's going to be interesting to see when those debates start cropping up because, you know, they're going to happen. So that that to me, that's like going to be the biggest, most fascinating thing to monitor over, over the course of the season. And again, it's a good problem to have with regards to all right, which talented guy do you want to play? It's all about matter of preference. And I guess at this point, like yogurt land toppings, right? Like it's going to taste good one way or another, maybe. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just what you want on there and how you get it to fit and coalesce in time to, you know, matter down the road. So unless you get that, unless you get that smelly taro yogurt. Oh, wait, you don't like the smell? Uh, I'm trying to remember what taro tastes like. Depends on Doesn't if you're taste like. Good, bruh. <laughs> Does not taste good. No, I'm just kidding. I know there's. A I lot typically of like taro, taro, but okay. Yeah. I will say it depends on which like yogurt place you're going to. Yogurt Land, it may not taste good. Menchie's, I don't like anything at Menchie's. Actually, sorry, Menchie's. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, I think that'll that'll do it for us. Unless you had anything else to bring up rotation wise, or okay, my last question to you. We'll yeah. do this quickly. Your thoughts on me pushing this, you know, Carmelo Anthony is definitively going to have like 22 minutes because from my perspective, I don't know how it's going to happen, but anytime you see Cal Kuzma from last season or the last two years, essentially just swap that out for Carmelo Anthony, and I think that's Carmelo Anthony's role. 
except he's going to close more games than Kyle Kuzma. And so, you know, we've been seeing a lot of the big four memes. They're always putting Carmelo with LeBron, AD, and Westbrook. That's all fine and good. But I actually don't feel like it's that far off. Maybe I'm, like, drinking the Kool-Aid way too much. But, you know, the fourth quarter stats I brought up there and all that stuff, I I think 22 to 24 minutes, i.e. the Kyle Kuzma role, is not too far-fetched. Maybe it's not 24 minutes throughout the whole course of the regular season bit, but maybe the second half of the season he's consistently averaging that. So... Yeah, I, no, I think I think you're not far off at all. I mean, certainly when the season starts, I think he'll actually be closer to the 20 minutes a game than potentially by it ends, right? We've talked about this multiple times, but kind of the one gap on this team is a guy who's sort of 6'8", six, 6'9", six, can play four, but also maybe in a pinch play small ball five and can hit a perimeter shot. Now, Melo, mm-hmm. I don't think can play small ball five, but... Olympic Melo could. Of, yeah, that's, that's true. Olympics. <laughs> he, he still he fills he checks two of the three boxes, right? Like a bigger guy who could play and 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 spread the floor a little bit, as certainly at the four. So I think you know with eighty at the five, the obvious starter at the four is LeBron. Um, but then LeBron and AD are. I mean, LeBron's going to be playing hybrid roles too, right? He's going to be playing not necessarily a hundred percent of his minutes at the four. So. You know, if LeBron's playing 33 minutes a game, half of them or even two thirds of them are at the are at the four. There's still plenty of minutes at the four to go around between Mello and AD, and and uh, Mello will certainly get some minutes at the three too, maybe in some lineups, or mm-hmm. you know, certainly when LeBron's on that three, Mello could could play in in the rotation with him, and it's sort of ambiguous who's playing what position. But you know, my point is, I think he could find those minutes early. The interesting thing for me is going to be if. They find somebody else who can kind of provide this exact same thing, but is a better defender or but mm. is like a little bit taller and, and can maybe add a little more defense in, in some capacity. Um, maybe they make that move, but I don't know. I You've highlighted all the reasons why Melo has a very, very good chance to get significant minutes here because of his ability to just be ice cold and just hit out. You know, he's he's got like so much confidence and on a team like this that carries you a long way for sure. Ice cold in terms of ice in his veins hitting a bunch of threes, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Pretty sure that's what you meant. And then to tag on to that, Trevor Ariza, I think while Carmelo Anthony will play the Kyle Kuzma role, I see Trevor Ariza, regardless of whether or not he starts, playing the Markeith Morris role. Where it's limited, you may see him DNP'd some games, but he's going to have a role, but it's probably going to be that 10 to 15 minute type role. And you maybe you really deploy him when it comes playoff time against, you know, the team's best wing defenders or whatever. But I think even just to extend his longevity and his life throughout an 82 game regular season, I think you just have to do that with Ariza. And I will say, if you look at his advanced analytics, I think Trevor Ariza is going to be the new Marcus Gasol this year, where his stats, I don't think are going to look too pretty when you look at the box score. But when you look at his what he does for the team as a whole when he's on the court, I think you're going to notice and feel his presence because when he played for the Miami Heat last year, the Heat were six points better defensively when Ariza was on the court than when he was off of it, and their steal percentage rose by 2.4% anytime he was on the court. And so you'd imagine on a team with the Lakers, they want to run and gun, they want to muck it up, they want to die for loose balls and get their hands in you know, passing lanes and whatnot. Trevor Ariza just fits perfectly in that sort of scenario. So even in limited minutes, even in a Markeith Morris role, I think whenever Trevor Ariza's out there, you're going to see the advanced analytics kind of go crazy for him. That, at least that's my prediction. Um, 
But even even if that's the case, I don't necessarily think you should overdo it with a reason. Be like, yeah, keep playing him 25 minutes like the Heat did, which I think they actually played him like 28 minutes or something like that. Um, but it's good to conserve a reason, which is why, you know, it's good having such a plug-and-play malleable player like Carmelo Anthony, who I feel like fits in so many different units and iterations of lineups just because he can shoot the ball at the size that he's at. So, all right, with that said, that'll pretty much do it. There's a lot more time um, to talk about this team, especially as the first preseason game against the Brooklyn Nets is on Sunday. Holy crap, it's going to be... God, it came up so fast. It came up so fast, and here we freaking BB go, man. It's going to be... Gonna be nuts. We should we should order out some BB go and watch a game or something. Yeah, <laughs> just in sure. honor of the season and the BB go sponsorship. I think there's one at the Century City Mall. It may be gone actually. I was like five years ago that I remember BB go at the Century City Mall when I worked at Fox. But um, with that said, that'll do it. The 2021-22 Lakers season is underway. The quest for 18, it's lit. Tommy, I will catch you later. Laters on the Menchie. <laughs> See, uh, not laters on the Menchies. That's a bad yogurt place. Don't go to Menchies. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>